Hi everyone, welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. I'm your host, Saskia. On today's podcast, we are joined by Eric, who is the co-founder of Unless Collective, also known as Unless, and an advocate of zero plastic fashion. Eric, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your personal background and how Unless originated? Sure. Nice to meet you, Saskia, and great to be on Sustainability Speaks. Um, I am uh, Eric Lipke. I was a, I'm a 28-year fashion industry um, veteran. 26 of those years was with Adidas, as um, I did everything there from the mailroom to the boardroom. Um, and uh, at the end of 2019, I had decided that I had done what I can within the, um, um, the, the, the boundaries of Adidas. Um, or Adidas, sorry, um, and wanted to go outside and start to cre- create a fashion disruption, um, knowing the, that we had to fix this problem of, um, of plastic waste in the industry. So I started Unless Collective with a band of warriors that are friends and advocates to the cause, and we are off and running in our, in our second year. Well, so it's a pretty new company then. Absolutely. So, yeah, so... Um, Unless Collective was a brainchild of ours when we saw some of the issues in, in fashion with uh, the problem of fashion waste, specifically uh, 70% of, 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 um, of the industry is made of petroleum-based uh, synthetics, uh, nylons, polyesters, call it, I, I, you know, call it as an as a umbrella category, plastics. And um, we knew that when we sat inside the, the big companies, the, the Adidas, the Nikes, the, the VFs of the world, um, you know that you can't uh, change them. You can change them incrementally, but you can't change them radically. So uh, we looked at ourselves in the mirror and we decided we, we needed to step outside to create um, what I like to call a Tesla-like moment for the, um, for the fashion industry. And that's when we stepped away and started this pursuit of zero plastic waste at end of life um, as our kind of thesis for, uh, for the Unless Collective. I can hear an American accent. And given that you said you worked at Adidas, I presume this was in the, the States as well as? Yeah, so I, um, I worked for 26 years with Adidas. I literally started outside the mailroom. Um, and uh, as, as a, the position was called a sweeper, which meant I basically did everything that needed to be done, including um, uh, weekend maintenance and, and monitoring of the, of the printer so we could look at sales reports. And I did 13 years in the States at various positions. And then uh, I was asked to uh, relocate to Germany as the head of um, uh, brand communications, uh, brand marketing for the entire uh, for the for, for Adidas. And so I spent the next 13 years uh, in various positions at Adi. And uh, the final one was a culmination of a board seat as president of, uh, of Global Brands or the official title executive board member of Global Brands. Well, so a very impressive background. <laughs> I'd like to think so. It was uh, 26 years of my life or half my life. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I was uh, I, I used to think I had best job in the world. Um, but then um, I started to see some of the uh, sins of fashion, if you will, and started to get into this problem that uh, the, the, this, this petroleum reliance that the industry was finding itself in and the fact that, you know, plastics are forever materials. And so I really started to dig into that and started to understand, um, you know, how much a big company could change and how much uh, outside in company could create change and, uh, decided to do, uh, take one step after the other and, and, and move outside the big company and go into a startup. Unless is a fashion brand and you've spoke a little bit about the sort of problems that you're aiming to solve. Can you go into a bit more detail about that? 
What I found when I was at Adidas was that um, the big incumbent fashion companies are more and more re uh, reliant on plastic creation than ever before. It's cheap, it's plentiful, and it's, it's very flexible in how you, how you use it. This is a great invention if you think about just from an efficiency standpoint. But from an environmental standpoint, from a sustainable standpoint, it's got all sorts of issues. Um, you know, because it's a it's what I would call a forever material, which means it doesn't break down and go away. It just gets into smaller and smaller pieces. You've got the fashion industry creating havoc with their planned obsolescence of three months, six months, and nine month drops with plastic, um, you know, really going into into the environment uh, in all sorts of ways. Um, what we're finding is, and you've seen the research microplastics are now entering um, our bloodstreams. Microplastics are found in deep lung tissue. Microplastics are, 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 are considered to make up 40% of our household dust now. Um, and that's coming from textiles and couches and, and mattresses and carpeting and apparel. Um, microplastics are 10 times more in our babies than they are in ourselves. And they're measuring that through, you know, baby poo, if you will, um, because babies are crawling around on the floors and everything. So you've got microplastics raining down in our highest, um, in our highest mountains on Mount Everest and our lowest, in our lowest uh, places in the, uh, in the world, in the Mariana Trench. And when you're not talking about microplastics, you're talking about discarded fashion, um, creating havoc in different places in the world, like, Ghana, where Ghana imports 21 million tons, 21 million tons of old fashioned waste a week. Just to put that in perspective from a visual, that's 26 million tons worth of elephants. <laughs> so 26 million elephants worth of trash are going to Ghana from northern western hemisphere countries every week. So what's that what, what that does to Ghana's economy is it craters their their own garment industry. Um, creates mass unemployment in that sector, but also most of that most of that apparel that's being dumped there, that's not resold. Um, up to fifty percent is being put in ground uh, is being put in ground ground fills that are and then going into the ocean or leaching into the environment in different ways. So you've got this real pandemic issue going on around plastics, but you don't have this real real um, you know highlight being put on it. So when we we're at Adidas, we started to see this and we started to think about ways we could beat this. So when I started on Less Collective with my, with my cohort, we really wanted to focus on how we solve for end of life and how we make product that's, you know, made to harmless and go away when you're done with it, which is the, the I think the, one of, the, one of the, the cleanest and simplest stories you can tell a consumer when you talk about sustainable product. You've spoken quite a bit about the problem that you're trying to solve. How are you trying to solve it though? Well, you've got to get into how product is made um, and, and everything has to do with the ecosystem you have to set up because right now the cheapest available materials are very easily petroleum based. Um, and so what you've got to do is you've got to come up with a material set of, of, of raw materials that can, you know, that can help create um, a, a better solution. And right now we're finding all of those products to be plant-based. So we're really looking at cellulose-based, which is, you know, the, 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 the terminology, the scientific terminology for plants, cellulose-based product um, that can be put into uh, apparel, footwear, um, and complete and, and be the feedstock for an entire brand. So you talk about, um, you know, you, everybody knows cottons, everybody knows hemp, everybody knows linens. That's fine. Those things are readily available. However, when you talk about how you put a garment together, then you have to figure out the supply chain, not just the materials, the supply chains that want to work with that. 
because most supply chains have been optimized for the ultimate efficiency. And that means using cheaper feedstocks, which is petroleum based. And that means using machinery that is used to make, you know, that is used to work with synthetics versus linens or cottons or, or cellulose based materials. So you've got to really just find A, the materials that go into it, which are already at a premium. B, then you have to find factories, tier one, tier two, tier three factories that can then put those products together um, in, in a way in, that they want to do it. And they want to do it for a startup. Um, so to me, it's like, you know, Saskia, it's like, you know, you one thing you're trying to ask people to do is, is just to work with a startup, which is already hard because you're, you're asking people to do things that they want more volume. So they typically don't want to work with guys that are, that are coming from an undercapitalized and low volume startup standpoint. And then B, you're saying, oh, great, you're going to take our business. Now we're going to ask you to do it in a, in a more inefficient way with more inefficient materials. And I say inefficient from the financial standpoint. I don't say inefficient from, the, from a sustainable or, or the world perspective. In fact, they're more efficient. But nevertheless, you're asking for a lot of fairness. Then thirdly, you need to now figure out a way you're going to distribute that, whether it be through D to C, uh, brick and mortar, or through, or through um, wholesalers, et cetera. And then, then you have to set up a return mechanism because we want to get the product back so we can A, repair it and resell it, which is the most sustainable. B, look at fiber to fiber recycling or material to material recycling, which is really starting to burgeon when you talk about cotton to cotton or plant-based leather, plant-based leather, similar things like that, that you, know, you can really look at this fiber to fiber and, 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 kill, and really cut down your reliance on virgin, virgin, virgin level materials. Or C, ultimately, make sure it's properly composted so it goes back in the ground to create nutrient-rich soil, which then can um, grow new feedstocks. Because and unless we're really about for the elements, from the elements, to, to uh, return to the elements. And I think that's the most important thing. So we're really talking about a regenerative ecosystem, if you will, that is um, not easy to build, but we're having a lot of fun doing it. Um, and uh, I would just say that that should give you a basic overview of what we're trying to achieve with Unless. Out of that list of challenges, would you say there's one in particular that you found the hardest to overcome? <laughs> well, I think right now we've spent a lot of our time on material sets and really, really piloting what those materials are. So when we talk about materials, um, we talk about, hey, we're not just talking about base materials. You're talking about threads. You're talking about labels. You're talking about clip tags. You're talking about closures. You're talking about collars. You're talking about dyes. You're talking about inks. You're talking about, you know, just, just basic patterns. So that has been a year and a half of effort of us just kind of mapping out those supply chains that can provide those materials and then getting them in the hands of the right um, factories to then, you know, put that all together. Um, I would say the hardest part so far is the dyeing and the printing of graphics, if you will, and the composting. I think those are things that have not really been, been created yet. And so we're having to continue to look at, um, look at you know, new ways to innovate that and pioneer new ways to, to create that. And so we're finding, um, we're finding solutions. It's not, it's not easy. It's, it's really hand-to-hand -hand combat sometimes in finding these solutions. And when we find these solutions, it's typically with companies that are passionate about the same things we are, and they're, 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 um, they're undercapitalized. So it's really startup to startup trying to trying to figure this thing out together um, when you get into these these solutions around these three areas. But it's it's very rewarding because we're finding them. And as we like to think of ourselves, we're not 
trying to create generational wealth. Uh, we're actually trying to create generational change. So we're really using a less collective as a, as a lighthouse for others to follow and really get into and, 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 and come aboard. So as we map these ecosystems with these solutions, we then will collaborate and bring people into our collective that can use these for their own, um, their own innovations, their own brands, their own um, uh, needs and uses, because we really want to create a, as I said, a, a Tesla-like disruption in the industry and not just build a singular brand. And would you say that that's what makes you different from other sustainable fashion brands? Um, yeah, I don't think anybody's. I don't think anybody starts with the end in mind. I think the thing that really creates a difference for us is we start with what happens when the product is at its end use, and I don't know of any other consumer goods company that does that. Let alone fashion. I think too many times we allow the the, the public um, to pay for the sins of, uh, of capitalism, if you want to be dramatic, you know, so capitalism is all about making more and more and more and more, and they're all about selling more and more and more and more. And they, you know, and they, they, they do that the cheapest way possible, which typically brings them into relying on, on, on the cheapest feedstocks and the cheapest production methods. Nobody ever holds them accountable for end of life. What happens to the product when you're done with it, whether it's a TV or whether it's a sofa or whether it's a, it's, it's fashion. It's like, what is the responsibility? What, what makes us different from everybody else is we're actually former veterans from this space that have done this. And we said the, the holy grail answer is to solve not just for great looking, um, great wearing, great product, but solving also for what happens to them when we're done with it. And does it create harmful waste or not? And so we start with the end in mind and say all of our things should go away when you're done with them um, harmlessly into the ground to contribute to the, the nutrient-rich elements and, and soils and, and plants that come from it then. From doing a bit of research about Unless, I've found a regenerative creation model. Can you explain what this is? Yeah, I think, I think it's, a lot of it's been what we've been talking about, Saskia. It's, it's, um, it's basically having this, this model in mind where you plan for the end. You start with the end first and you go from there. So. If, if, if you take that logical conclusion, it's like, okay, what do you want at the end of life for your product? Well, if you, if you start with, you want to create nutrient-rich soil that can be used to grow crops, that can be used to grow, you know, whether it be roses or whether it be, um, whether it be tomatoes or whether it be foods of any sort, then you can start to say, okay, if that's what we want, that's what the end looks like, how does that go back into how we start the creation method. And that's what brought us all the way along to plant-based product. Um, I think 100% plant plant-based and 0% plastic is, is kind of where we started because we want to end up with regenerative um, soil at, at, when, we're, when we're done with the end of, and, and at the end of our product. And we will be able to grow new feedstock from the, old, uh, from the old product that we've created. So imagine if you will, and I always like to, I always like to put this on the whiteboard, it's like a burlap sack of nutrient-rich soil but with the less brand on it. And so you have that for roses, you have that for tomatoes, you have that for, for, you know, apple trees or whatever you may be, you can tune it and you can actually, you know, give that back to the consumer or create urban gardens where there might be, you know, urban, urban food deserts now or what have you. And that becomes regenerative, not just from a food standpoint, but also from a community standpoint. And I think, you know, we also like to call ourselves the collective, if you don't mind me continuing to go on. And the collective is about bringing people along this journey and not looking at traditional competitive um, setups. And so how do we do this and, and always have a mind at scaling this within the industry 
so that we can share our ecosystem and share our findings and share our model with, you know, with, with others that, that want to follow. Um, for example, um, if, we, if we can model out some soil recipes for food crops, let's say, right? So we, we know that we've got to have this kind of nutrient level to grow the most maximum um, uh, food in a, in a certain hemisphere, a certain location in, in, a, in an urban sector. Then we can say, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Um, uh, new brand that want to come along, this is what you need to do from your feedstock standpoint, from how you create beforehand. This is what you need to take in consideration from your from your dyes, from your inks, from your base from your base materials, from your from your threads, from your labels, from whatever it may be. So this is the this is the playbook you have to follow from how you create, who you work with to create on your ecosystem as far as factory bases, and then ultimately how you take back and how you compost and to create these soils. And then hopefully we can model that for the entire industry. Um, it's, a, it's a more of a collective approach in working with other brands. Like I had with, um, when I was at Adidas, I worked with, um, and people thought I was you know, silly at the time, but I started, I, I didn't finish, but I started a relationship with Allbirds to say, could we make a shoe with the lowest um, carbon footprint possible? And that was something that uh, when, when Allbirds contacted me through a mutual friend, they were, um, they were like, hey, listen, we love what you guys are doing. We think we could do something together really meaningful. Would you be interested? And I just leaned in and said, yeah, I think the world needs that kind of collaborative approach, that kind of collective approach. And so I've taken some of those learnings um, and I've applied those to what we're trying to build with the Unless Collective. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that this sort of collective is the future of the fashion industry? Do you think that other companies will be on board or do you think that ultimately capitalism will always take priority? Well, I think, so let's, let's, first of all, I, I don't think we should be maybe throwing rocks at capitalism because it's gotten us this far. I think you have to play within the, 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 the boundaries of that. Right. And you used to lose elasticity. What I believe um, is that the consumers are looking for this and the consumers are wanting this, but right now we're asking them to trade, their values for their taste or their taste for their values. So unless collective is all about, you know, giving them great looking, beautiful objects of desire that they can then not feel bad about at the end of life because it will go away and we'll take care of it. Um, so the idea is to meet them at their own taste level while not making them compromise their values. So I, I wouldn't suggest we, we throw the taste out the window and say, you should just do this because it's better for the world and, and, and forget your own personal objectives. And I think we've seen that model play out very clearly. Um, and I keep saying it with um, the electric vehicles. Um, back in the day when you were uh, trying to buy an electric vehicle, you could buy a smart car. And I think that was great, but it was, you had to wear your sustainability on your forehead and say, I'm driving this because I'm very sustainable. Along comes Tesla and says, no, no, you don't have to drive an odd looking car to wear that. You can actually have a Roadster and a, and a beautiful sedan that go as fast as any car on the road. And you still are driving this and looking great in it. And you're having it on, a, on an electric vehicle stack. And I think that changed the entire model of what electric vehicle could be. And everyone else has since followed suit, building more and more electrical vehicles. And I just saw in the States, it will pass 5% of sales this year, which is an inflection point for electric vehicle sales, which now quickly will comes 20, 25%, et cetera. So there's a real inflection point that, that Tesla created. I see similar things happening with plant-based plant-based proteins. 
if you look at um, the, 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 the runaway success of the, you know, oat milks, like Oatly um, uh, is, is the one I always like to use. It's like, I'm a vegan. Back in the day, I used to have to compromise my, uh, my taste a lot when I would choose my, you know, chalky almond milk. Um, for my for my you know cappuccino or or what I was using it for, it was a sacrifice I had to make. I don't have to make that sacrifice anymore. Oatly has met my standards of all dairy products and surpassed them, and now it's just delicious to have an Oatly cappuccino. And that's where I think the, the the fashion industry needs to get to. Right now, in the fashion world, we're still asking people to wear their their values on their forehead versus giving them the highest level fashion with the um with the values the, the meeting the values that they expect and i think that's where um that's where we're going and that's where the fashion industry needs to go so to me i do think the industry will come along quickly i think they already desire that i think they have great intentions too i think um many of them are, are green wishing if uh, if you will and that means you know that it's not like they don't they want to be duplicitous and that's where greenwashing i think is more in, more indicative but green wishing is like they believe they're doing enough by being recycled polyester or by being you know biofabricate or by being bioplastics but i'm here to say that and I don't think it is enough. And I don't think we have the time to continue to rely on plastics in, in any form, whether it be bioplastics or recycled polyester. And I'm trying to model a better way. And as I talk to some of these bigger brands about working together in the future, they're, they're, they're very, very open to those conversations. Um, just like I was able to do with Parley for the Oceans back in the day when I sat, with Adi, I sat at Adidas. Are the collaborations with bigger brands the future of Unless, or do you have other plans? Um, like I said before, we are interested in creating a disruption in the industry. So we've kind of like looked and studied these other use cases I've mentioned and said, how's the best way to do that? The best way to do that is through a combination of operating your own brand, which I think is super important for us to pilot the way and show that it's that's a feasible thing and prove the case with consumer desire. And then, but then be open to collaborations, be open to sharing your, your solutions for your ecosystem, be open to um, looking at all sorts of different ways to scale that with the urgency I believe the world needs today, especially in light of, you know, um, petro oligarchs invading sovereign states and uh, the climate change we're witnessing um, throughout the world. Before we round off the podcast, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to go into a bit more detail about about where they can actually find Unless. So obviously you're American. Is this just an American brand or can people across the rest of the world, can they buy Unless? Yes. Yeah, so um, thank you for asking that. Uh, we are American based. We are based actually in Portland, Oregon, and we're Pacific Northwest proud. So our, our product does come from the insights of Pacific Northwest, um, where it's got, you know, workwear meets streetwear, heavy influences of skate, cold water surf, and um, just the, 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 the hardiness that you find up here. Um, so we like that kind of approach to our product. And every product needs to have a home like that. So very, very Pacific Northwest proud. Having said that, we sell right now um, in, in direct-to-consumer and wholesale in America. And we are shipping now, um, beginning to ship to Europe. Um, but we don't have wholesale opportunities there. We haven't opened up uh, further than that in geographies. Uh, as you know, it can, get, um, it can get expensive for the consumer from a shipping standpoint, uh, from a VAT standpoint, um, except, and from a duty standpoint. So we're trying to do it in a very measured approach. But 
Europe is our next destination, um, both from wholesale and from a, uh, from a, you know, an own retail standpoint. So, but um, yeah, and you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can DM me directly. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from anybody that's interested in, in working with us or learning more about what we're doing. Thanks, Eric. And thanks for joining us. This was a really interesting podcast. It was really great to hear your opinions on the fashion industry as a whole and the sort of problems that you at Unless are tackling. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me again. And uh, thanks for everything you guys are doing with Sustainability Speaks. We need, we need more platforms and uh, you guys are doing a great job. Thank you very much. All of the links to Unless are in the description of the podcast. So make sure to check those out. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please look at our others and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook for more updates.